across um, adolescence, the task is to practice being an adult, to try things and to fail and to make mistakes and to try again until eventually you come out at the end as a strong adult. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there. Welcome back to Wisdom for Wellbeing. Today, I am joined by the brilliant Dr. Louise Hayes. Louise is a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, and active humanitarian. She is the past president of the ACBS and a peer-reviewed acceptance and commitment therapy, often called acceptance and commitment training or ACT trainer. Together with Joseph Carocci, she developed DNAV, which is a developmental model of acceptance and commitment therapy and positive psychology. In fact, DNAV is a lot of what we'll be talking about today. Each of these letters stands for a certain part of ourself that supports us as we navigate the world. And Louise does a beautiful job of explaining how this applies to adolescents in the brilliant journey that they are on. Louise is also the co-author of the best-selling book, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life for Teenagers, A Guide to Living an Extraordinary Life, and the practitioner book, The Thriving Adolescent, using acceptance and commitment therapy and positive psychology to help teens manage emotions, achieve goals, and build connections. Her new book for teenagers, Your Life, Your Way, is another important theme in today's conversation where she really describes how it is that we use this DNAV model to support the teens, the young people in our lives to figure out how they do go about living their life their way. You will no doubt find that she has a really beautiful energy and a real sense of connection to young people, describing the learning that she sees in herself from their wonderful perspectives, the change that they are capable of, and really highlighting how much they are our future. So if you have a young person in your life, if you work with young people, I think this is going to be a really important conversation. It is worth highlighting that you can connect with Louise at louisehayes.com.au and particularly going there to find more about her active humanitarian efforts where she's taking mental health professionals into the Himalayans to develop mindfulness skills and raise funds for poor children in remote Nepal. And her website, thrivingadolescent.com, is really useful in connecting in with this DNAV model and actually seeing some of the imagery that we talk about today. But without further ado, let me introduce you to Dr. Louise Hayes now. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast today. I am just delighted to get the opportunity to, to learn all of the amazing things that you are doing, particularly around adolescence and well-being. Thank you. It's very nice to be here, Caitlin. It's a great podcast. I'm really happy to be here. 
Oh, thank you so much. And I, I guess just to start things off, would you mind sharing with the listeners a bit about who you are and what's brought you to this amazing place of particularly focusing on supporting our young people to cultivate a sense of thriving in their lives? Well, that's a big question. So who I am, I'm a clinical psychologist um, from Victoria in Australia. Uh, I um, have been working on I work with women and I also work with young people and I have been doing this for 20 or so years. Um, and I, I do a number of things. I write some books. Um, a joy of my life is writing. I write some books um, on uh, mental health for young people in particular um, and adults as well. And I also um, do uh, meditation and uh, for the last five years have been running something we call mindful adventures which is taking health professionals to nepal um, to learn about meditation and practice meditation and um, raise money for charity that's obviously not something i'm doing this year but that's something we've done every other year <laughs> anyone who might be listening to this at a later date we are kind of in the lead up to christmas in 2020 so COVID is, yeah. is um of concern yeah, so there's, so, so there's a whole range of different things that I do. I'm pretty fortunate, I guess. That's quite incredible because, as you said, it is a range of things. And I, I think it's also worth highlighting to listeners whose ears are pricking up if they are a healthcare practitioner or provider around the mindful adventures because what an amazing opportunity to, to travel and to raise money for charity and practice, practice essentially. <laughs> Well, yes, um, yeah, um, well, they can contact me. I'm sure there'll be a contact in the show notes. They can contact yeah. me if they want to know some information about that. I'll definitely leave it in the show notes because I just learned about it myself. So I'm going to be keeping tabs on that. So, you know, you mentioned that you work with women and with young people as well. And today we were specifically focusing our conversation on young people. So what about young people draws you, Louise? Well, um, I it's kind of been a bit of a journey really Caitlin so I started working with young people when I trained to be a psychologist I had an, in, an interest in child and adolescent mental health um, but also I just uh, I felt like that would be an area where I would be able to do a good job um, and way back then I was pretty scared to do therapy with adults to be honest so I thought all well, teenagers will be much easier and any psychologist who works with teenagers will know that that's absolutely not the case, it's harder. So it was a whole bunch of reasons. And then I did my PhD on uh, working with adolescents and I just really loved their passion. And I could have continued to love their passion. I think young people have a lot that they can show us and they have a lot of, they see the world with new eyes. And I really think that means that we can listen and learn that's incredibly powerful, this idea of listening and learning from our young people, which, you know, in, in different frameworks that are fairly prevalent in our society, we, you know, those in the adult role or in the role of authority might have the assumption that it's about conveying knowledge and information. And here you're describing listening and learning. Well, absolutely. I mean, the world has been, if you think about major changes that have happened across the world, it's because of young people. You know, you, you might immediately land on the 60s and think about the 60s and how they were changing um, and uh, how they brought change to traditional views. And right now, young people are driving change in a way we 
trying to see the world. And that's really important in terms of, you know, climate change and all those things that young people are looking at and saying, hey, we want to do this differently. Um, but there's also some good evolutionary science knowledge about this. So most of the work that I do comes into a therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy. But behind that is evolutionary science. And there's some good evolutionary um, science around the way um, adolescents uh, take risks, try new things and look at the world with new eyes, that that has been, that's part of their adaptation, part of their development, part of their reaching out to explore and become independent. So it's not just a modern thing, it's actually baked into us. That's incredibly powerful. I wasn't aware of that science. So thank you for sharing it. And those of us who do have young people in our lives can be sitting here going, oh, wow, that's quite powerful and are probably starting to churn as to how we can support young people to move our world forwards. What are some of the struggles that come with, you know, this passion? I imagine it's two-sided and, and, you know, the unfolding of all of the exploration and transformation can possibly come with difficulties yeah um, well there are a, a whole lot of developmental things that need to happen in the adolescent period and if you think about a, a child for example in um, the, um, the under 12 most of their life is around their family and their circle of friendships you know a small circle of friends and then when adolescent kicks in the developmental piece means that they need to learn how to be autonomous and independent and to have um, a, a bigger view of the world and to go out and try things like relationships and you know all those kind of things so they're all really important developmental tasks particularly uh socializing and um becoming more uh, into um being independent with deeper relationships so those things are really important and they change adolescents at the level of biology they change their brains and their bodies and they also change them at the level of psychology and um, culture. So the change is so dramatic when you think about what the, uh, the change that a young person goes through is just remarkable. And of course, now we know it's a long period of time, that it's not just, you know, a two year period when they go through puberty, but it actually goes through the time when they come out of 23, 24, and we say, now you're an adult. <clears throat> Now, of course, development goes across the lifespan. Well, that's another story for another day. Would you mind just sharing with, um, with us what are some of the biological or psychological changes that an adolescent is going through and, and how does that kind of, you know, maybe interrelate with, with what's going on in their lives? Well, um, you know, the biological ones are pretty obvious to us, the ones that are going through puberty and their bodies growing and becoming stronger, uh, physically stronger. Um, those ones are pretty obvious to us, but the ones that we don't see are the ones that we might call psychological or behavioural um, that are a bit harder to see and a bit more invisible. Um, and so I like to talk about, um, if I can talk about animals first, that can actually be a really useful thing. So if you, if you, um, if when researchers look at animals in the adolescent period, what they see is greater risk-taking behaviours a real attraction to novelty, sensation seeking, and changes in um, relationships with the parents. Um, for example, if you take a group of mice and you put them in a maze and the maze has a cliff wall, the adolescent mice will walk along the edge of the cliff. 
while the adult mice and the children mice will stay well away from that cliff wall. Um, so across animals, we know that there's an adolescent period. Now, if you look at human adolescence and across all of the countries, there's a big study that measured 187 cultures. And what they found in human adolescence was risk-taking, love of novelty, sensation-seeking and changes in family relationships. So when you see something happen in animals and in humans, you can be sure you have some kind of evolutionary adaptation. That's incredible. That's really powerful. And how interesting to kind of normalize the risk-taking behavior that we might sometimes make a judgment means that something's totally wrong. Yeah, yeah. And so then our next task is to think, well, why would that be something that happens across the species? And if you think about it, there's some really important tasks. Uh, an animal has to, leave, has to leave the nest and go out and explore and mate and reproduce. Right? And humans need to do that too. <laughs> but human adolescence is not just about going out and reproducing or having sex because we're not just biological, we're also cultural and social. And so across um, adolescence, the task is to practice being an adult to try things and to fail and to make mistakes and to try again until eventually you come out at the end as a strong adult. Um, now there are some risks there and um, some of the things when adolescents try being an adult and try adult-like behaviours, you know, they do things like they have an attitude and they act like they know more than you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe they do in a different way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, that's all practice, you know. And they also, you know, we all can think back to our adolescence and think, oh, my God, did I really do that? <laughs> um, and, and trial and error is something that we really want to think about. Of course, they'll look stupid and make mistakes and fail. And um, that's what the process is about. That sounds really powerful, like that making mistakes and failing how how do you know parents teachers people who are involved with young people support that process in a helpful way well firstly um, i think how we support young people is by understanding what the process is about and sometimes we don't do that as well as we could you know sometimes we see failure as a bad thing um, or um, as parents, we love and protect and want to look after our children so much that we don't want them to fail. And when something goes wrong, we want to, you know, fix it or rescue them. Or, um, and there's, there's nothing wrong with doing that sometimes. But sometimes it's in the failures that we learn. Um, and so it's about understanding how do I help my young person? And when do I need to step back? And as much as it hurts me as a parent, when do I need to step back and let them fail so that they learn? Yeah. And is that part, because you have a new book out, Your Life, Your Way, is this part of letting adolescents, young people figure out what their life and, and their way is all about? Yeah, yeah. And it, it, Your Life, Your Way, with the title of the book, particularly appeals to what we want young people to do. We want them to be able to practice trying things and learning what they care about and learning from the mistakes, just as we all do, um, and to eventually come to a life that's meaningful for them. And we are really passionate about trying to help them um, find a life that's meaningful for them. 
And just as you mentioned the book, um, Caitlin, it's uh, Your Life, Your Way is written by my um, co-author and friend, Joseph Chiroki and myself. And it uses our developmental model of acceptance and commitment therapy that is called DNAB. Yes. Can we please discuss DNAB? Because this is something that I wish I knew about when I was younger and going through all my angst and challenges and I guess walking along the edge of the cliff, so to speak. So would you mind describing it for us? Uh, well, yeah, sure. Of course. So DNAB is a, a model that is looking at acceptance and commitment therapy and evolutionary science um, from a developmental perspective. And so it's a um, the acronym, it's a DNA and B is an acronym, and it stands for the four things that cover everything a human can do. So they can discover and do things and try things. They can notice things like feelings and sensations and be aware of the world. They can um, give themselves advice and tell themselves what to do and problem solve. We call that your advisor. And they can care about things and live with vitality and value. We call that the value space. And so those four things, we see them as skills that every young person has. Now, what we want to do is particularly important. We want to help them know these are the skills that you have as a human. And together, we're going to work to help you use them to the best of your ability. So we're going to help you use these skills in a way that is flexible. And psychological flexibility is what it's all about. That's the ability to do what you care about. When, even when your thoughts and feelings say this will be really hard. So getting out of bed and even going to school sometimes might be something that does feel very hard. Yeah, and it might be something you don't care about. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that one doesn't apply so much. Maybe going to soccer or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, it might be something that you do care about. So, <laughs> Uh, we're always shooting for this thing that's called psychological flexibility, which is um, makes it sound like it's just thoughts, but it's really about our whole being and how we move about in the world and how to do that in a way that, you know, even when you get a strong feeling like I'm going to fail, that you're able to actually do the thing you care about. That's why your life, your way. That makes a lot of sense. And, and with these four, you know, concepts or frameworks, you know, for instance, and I, I'm going to say discover because you have imagery associated with this and, and a real like visual framework that adolescents and young people can use. So if there's the discoverer, the noticer, the advisor, and then this, this, you know, being of vitality or values, could you describe maybe a little bit about each one with the discoverer? How could a young person maybe move forward in that, in that skill set as that side of themselves? Or how could someone support them to find that side? I can. Well, seeing as how we talked about images, maybe we'll use that imagery. And if people want to, they can see the imagery on the website. Yeah, so it's thrivingadolescence.com, but I'll put the link in the show notes for people as well. Sure. So let me start. I'm going to back, go backwards a little bit. Let me start with the advisor. So the advisor is just another word for how we talk to ourselves. And so in our illustrations, we put the advisor as a guy in a suit, right? So it's like this, you know, if you think of imagery, it's like the business part of you, the part that tells you, you know, Caitlin, you're doing a great job at this podcast or, 
well, you're not doing a good job at this podcast, right? Yeah. Um, so we put that guy in a suit or that girl in a suit um, because problem solving and telling you what to do and, you know, and it's happening right now. Like my advisor is like, am I doing a good job? Am I talking too quickly? Is this podcast okay? Is it interesting? And your advisor is probably doing the same, Caitlin, is it? Totally. It sounds very official. Sometimes it's not that helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's something we need and sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not. And flexibility is knowing how to listen when you need to and step out of it when you don't. Um, because uh, the our self-talk or the advice you give to yourself is often about um, where the danger is and where the risk is. And uh, will I look stupid on this podcast? You know, um, those things. So um, our job is to be able to use it in a way that um, helps us. Yeah. And, and so, um, oh, sorry, I was just going to say it was interesting. You know, you mentioned like, you know, the will I look stupid? And, and I have this similar messaging from my advisor often. It's interesting because I wonder how that relates to you mentioned sort of the social dynamics changing with an adolescent too. So yeah, yeah. And we'll come back to discovery in a minute. Okay. So yes, of course, the social dynamics change. And so, um, and your advisor is all about trying to, or your self-talk or the way you talk to yourself is all about trying to manage your risk, right? And, and keeping you safe. And if you think of what the risks are for a human, the risks are that there might be some physical danger in the world. You know, like you might not have enough food or enough money to pay your bills. And so you'll get lots and lots of self-talk around, you know, have I got a job? Is it secure? You know, can I pay my bills? Or if you're a teenager, am I going to pass my studies? And, and the other risk to humans is social. You know, do I fit in? Do I belong? And the reason that it's physical and social is at part of our evolutionary history. The two biggest risks for a human as they evolve and adapt across millennia is physical danger and social danger. And so, um, you know, you want to be part of the tribe. You don't want to be kicked out on the savannah and get eaten. So, and we have that evolutionary heritage. So social danger is really important. And that's why most adolescents spend lots of time on, am I okay? Do I fit in? You know, and they're real threats. Um, they're real threats. And there's some good um, research showing that a social threat looks the same as a physical threat if you looked in someone's brains when they have it. Yeah, that's really like an important reminder so that we can be compassionate to how real those threats feel when, you know, from an outside lens, maybe we look at some of the dynamics that might be happening in adolescence and we're quick to judge what that, what that means or the significance. Yeah, especially if it's things uh, as a parent where your teenager might say, you know, I can't go out with my hair like this. And we might um, not realise how real that is and what a threat they feel about that. Um, so that's giving yourself advice and our job is to learn how to use that flexibly. Um, now, you asked me about the discoverer and the discoverer is kind of the opposite of your advisor in some ways. Um, a way to think about the discoverer is to think about how we learn. So as a small child, you know, when you learn to walk, you stand up and you fall down and you stand up and you fall down. And you keep doing that, right? One-year-olds don't, you know, put their hands on the hips and say, mm, this walking is too hard. I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> right? 
Um, so that's the trial and error. It's the trying and continuing to persist while you learn and failing and learning from the failures. So the discoverer is kind of about that. And in terms of our illustrations, we put him uh, or her as a, you know, a, there's an image of a girl playing a guitar and uh, learning how to do some things and, the, um, uh, and really being an explorer. And so here is the land of curiosity, the place of curiosity, I should say, the place where you step into the world and see things and wonder, I wonder if I could do that. What would it be like to just be curious and try something new I've never tried? What are my strengths and how do I bring them into this part? So maybe one of my strengths is honesty. How do I use my honesty to help me live and to um, be better and stronger at things? So things like curiosity, strengths, um, uh, creating and creating new experiences and really using our experiences to try to decide how do I want to be in the world? That makes sense. So it's unique to the individual, this experience of, you know, d discovering and one, like, I guess, creativity, kind of wondering what an individual is going to kind of unfold. Yeah, yeah. What would it be like if I tried this new thing? What would it be like if I was curious about something or if I stepped in and tried something that is a bit new and a bit scary? And yeah. how would I do that? So is it figuring out how to effectively sort of use this or how to shine light on this part of oneself or what's sort of the, the skill? Yeah, the skill is those things, like bringing curiosity to this place where you're trying something and also um, skills of doing things like looking at the things you're doing, really looking at the things that you've been engaging in, especially if you're stuck and wondering, is this really something that I want to keep doing? How does this work for me? Is it helping me or am I just doing the same old thing and not really changing? So that and, psychological flexibility would be kind of looking at that, you know, kind of as a one-year-old who maybe might not have that, you know, developmental capacity, but going, is this continual practice to get up and walk useful to me? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, and as you get older, um, it, it is, you know, trying these new things that adolescents are doing, which is filled with risk. You know, one of the biggest um, new things, risk-taking things that adolescents do is they have a voice. Uh, they practice. Think about, um, you know, so lots of the time I'll see parents, and I'm generalising, but a lot of the time I'll see parents and they, they might say, you know, I have this 15-year-old and they're full of attitude. And when they were 12, they were really sweet. And they, you know, they were really sweet and polite and they always listened to me and now they're full of attitude. Well, sometimes that, not always, and I'm generalising, but sometimes that learning to have their voice is actually part of the risk-taking. Right? It's not easy to stand up to dad and say, I have a different opinion. Right? And they might be wrong in their opinion, right? But actually that process is taking a big risk to stand up to someone who's always been the figure of, um, you know, the figure in the house or mum for yeah. that matter to say, I think differently. I, I have a different opinion. I think you're wrong, you know. And that, that image of that being powerful too, I think that's, that's something we can all probably hold and go, oh, wow, that is actually quite incredible too. It softens kind of maybe our experience. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we, we used in the, the other image that we had of the discoveries to think of 
you know, uh, a person uh, with a laptop under their arm and going out to explore the city, you know, that kind of thing, um, to really be out exploring and finding new things. Yeah. And then with that, so a noticer, what's, what's kind of a noticer? Well, <laughs> the illustration we use for a noticer is kind of deliberately chilled out. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an image of a person with a beanie on and a, you know, hippie kind of clothes and just kind of chilled. And we don't really mean being chilled like that, but it was a visual representation to try to get this sense of being able to notice things around you and being able to stop and tune in and be aware of what's going on inside us and to be able to stop and look at a tree and pause and, you know, to be able to really be in today. That includes things like being able to stop and really listen to your friends as they talk to you and be in the conversation and not thinking about what you have to do tomorrow or whether you said the right thing, but actually really engaging. And why is that important? Well, you know, I think the noticer is our probably, um, I really want to say it's our most important skill. I actually oh. want to say it's our most important skill. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, well, if, if you think about um, what's kind of going on underneath the surface is we tend to assume that um, language is the priority thing, you know, speaking and talking and thinking and problem solving and doing exactly what we're doing just right now. But underneath that is a whole awareness, you know, that we, as we move, um, we, I notice immediately if you're, I'm constantly tuned in to, is Caitlin listening to me? And I, does her face say she's listening? Am I talking too much? All those experiences that we have, you know, in the house, in the home, you notice the minute your young person walks in the door, what's going on on their face and really tune into that and that influences you. Yeah. So that skill set to be able to be present, you know, both to the trees that you might be kind of noticing and delighting in, but your social surroundings might then really influence your behavior or how you, you know, effectively respond if someone does look like they've had a tough day or, you know, if they look like they're elated, sort of going with them there too. Is that the idea? Absolutely. And there's also that cascade effect and thinking really about how sensitive we are to other people around us. Um, you think if we think about our own families, you know, and how quickly we detect that there's a change in a facial expression that, you know, uh, somebody in our family is mad at us, or um, um, that they're making a judgment. And we are so sensitive to that because social, we're social creatures. <clears throat> And being able to use that information in a way that doesn't really lock us down, you know. So we've got two, two kind of primary things we can do when we notice someone who looks like they're making a judgment. We can be reactive, you know, we can lash out and be reactive. Or we can pause and really think about what you notice inside you and then choose. Do I need to react to this? Do I need to check it out? Am I right? Maybe I'm not, you know, and being able to pause or is it, is this something I even need to do anything about? It's interesting that you said what you notice inside you, like being able to notice that side as well, noticing our reactions and experiences and what's going on for us. Well, yeah, because we notice together, like, um, and we're mirrors of each other. Um, 
yeah, as soon as I notice something in the other people that are close to me, I'll, it, it will influence me. You know, um, if mum's upset, the child is going to be upset. If the child is upset, mum's going to be upset. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I, I don't think this was something that was talked about when I was growing up. So I think like how powerful to have actually had language and imagery to kind of describe, oh, this is a skill set, something we can work on no, the noticing that it is an important thing to, to learn it as we develop. Mm. I, I do think we, there's probably lots of us who didn't learn it when you were younger. And it's a really nice way to work with parents too, because if I can help a parent understand that Sure, when your young person gets in the car and slams the door and has had a bad day, the, the most important thing is to be aware of what happens inside you because um, you're, you might feel angry and you might feel angry at them. Um, but it's not about what you feel. It's about being able to pause and, and think, okay, this, I might feel angry, but their intention was not to make me angry. Yeah. You know, and that it's just because we feel together. And can I just pause and put my feelings aside for a moment and then check in with them? How was your day? You look upset. That makes a lot of sense. So this this acronym, DNAV, is something we can all use regardless of what our age is. Hey, we're all in, you know, yeah. the same boat of being human. Yeah, and we're actually, my colleague Joseph Chiroki and I are working on some adult DNAV work as well. But that'll be coming in another year or so. But uh, when I work with young people, I give the book that we wrote to the parents to look at too. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? That we can use shared language. And with that shared language, the V, the values and vitality. Yeah. Well, values and vitality is pretty cool. So um, it's really values and vitality is thinking that we'll take them separately. Vitality is thinking about the sense of energy and engagement and being in life. Right? And and a good way to think about it, we use a metaphor in our book. This is a nice way to think about it. Um, the opposite of values and vitality is you know, kind of living that zombie life. You know, getting up, you go to work. <laughs> you know, you think about all your to-do lists and your tasks and your emails and your, you drag yourself through the day. That's the opposite of vitality. Vitality is more about being able to pause and say hello to a colleague as you make a cup of coffee and, you know, how was your weekend? You know, and being able to do those small things that really make your day more vital, more full of energy and engagement. You can see how that would have ripple effects, you know, that the zombie approach might lead to certain experiences we have in life and that engagement might lead somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. When vitality doesn't take any extra time, you know, um, it really doesn't take any extra time. And it's about being aware that we that we have some capacity to think about how we tune into our days you know um, so that's the vitality part and the values part is a little deeper than that the values part is thinking about how do I want to engage in the world you know what things are meaningful to me um, and, and how can I do those and and that I imagine guides you know the things that they're we're then noticing and how we're discovering in the world and kind of links back to everything else in this, you know, framework. Absolutely. And that's why we put the V, the v in the center because it, of our visual model, because everything depends on whether I um, have vitality and whether I have value. Yeah. So you might think of vitality as kind of a, 
an immediate sense of meaning and value as more of a bigger, longer term sense of meaning. That's a really nice way of looking at it. So what's happening like in the here and now versus sort of where we're moving to, where things are going long-term for us. Where or what could like, so with this conversation, parents, teachers, you know, those of us who have young people in our lives might be listening and going, oh, these are great ideas. Like I could start this conversation with the people I care about. Is there anything specifically that we might be able to do to kind of get young people in our lives moving forward on this, you know, journey of discovering their DNA? Sure. Well, um, there are obvious things like buy our book. But um, yeah. <laughs> let's just put that aside for the moment. And really Which, talk about... Can I just say there are some amazing videos and things on the website as well. So actually getting a young person onto that website where they can see the images and watch the videos and download because you've got heaps of worksheets and things as well. So thrivingadolescent.com is actually an amazing resource. So going there and grabbing the book for sure. Um, but I'll let you continue. <laughs> Thanks, Caitlin. Yes, that aside, what we can what we can all do with the young people that we uh, care about and love is, firstly, to listen to them and to talk with them, not as adults but as people who really have interesting things to say. Um, you know, like um, to talk with them about interesting questions, like um, uh, what would you do if you uh, what would you do if you were lost or what would you do if you what is what does it being free mean or you know just questions that can you can kind of really get a sense of you know if you could change the world what thing would you change and actually being able to engage in conversations and really hearing and valuing their opinion that sounds really powerful it sounds like it could go down a very philosophical and deep and connected you know journey in that conversation Sometimes, and of course, not every young person has those words. Sometimes what we can do the most is to spend time with them and engage with them and think about what they like. And, um, you know, I'm the mother of a couple of um, sons. And when they were teenagers, uh, I may not have got big, deep conversations, but we could certainly spend time engaging in the things that they cared about and really kind of be trying to interested in why you care about that. It sounds like you're delighting in them, essentially, in in this connection, understanding where they're coming from and giving them that energy to show you are there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all about acceptance and being able to spend time with them. So when I did my PhD, it was actually on relationships between parents and teenagers. And it was a long time ago, but the research is pretty clear and it hasn't really changed the most important thing that a parent can do for their teenagers is have a relationship that's warm and meaningful. Um, And that's the thing that gets you through the hard stuff. And that means spending time with them in things that are mutually shared or sometimes things that they like and you don't particularly like. And they're like, uh, I spent time playing, you know, some of the platform PlayStation games with my young people that I didn't particularly like, but, you know, it was meaningful to them. 
Hey, can I grab that? Because that is something that I think is very common right now in adolescence. It's probably been common for ages because I know I played them. So, um, But you know that that's something that maybe we go, oh, that's a waste of time or that's not productive. But here you're sort of saying actually sitting down and playing or talking through these things is actually really relationship building, which is one of the most important things we do. So that time spent talking about Fortnite or whatever it is, is actually huge. <laughs> Yes, absolutely, because you're taking time to find out what's inside it and why they're so fascinated by it. And there are there are lots of good skills inside these games. You know, there is a problem solving and strategy and spatial awareness is being improved as they play them. There's lots of good things inside them. They're like all good things, and we can't just do that and nothing else. Um, and they need a broad range. And there is a problem, of course, that sometimes these games are so reinforcing and so powerful that they are compelled to play them constantly. And as a parent, that can be tricky. You have to, you have to manage that. That's hard. Yeah. That's hard. But it sounds like having that conversation, knowing what your, the experience is like, might also be useful in, in kind of managing some of the difficulties too. Yeah, think about relationship first is the thing that I often say to parents when I work with them. It's the relationship that will get you through. Yeah. And with that, how, how can parents learn more from you? How can they connect with you? How can teachers, you know, those of us who work in the healthcare field who perhaps work with young people as well, how can, how can we learn more? Well, I think by being open and being curious and probably not, um, not trying to put our adult mind on their shoulders. No. Um, and thinking that we know better. We may know better, but they're on a learning journey. It sounds like coming back to that place of listening, learning and connecting is really what you're saying, you know, in, in many ways, time and time again. And um, are you are workshops being offered right now? Or is that something that we can sign up, you know, to your mailing list and keep abreast of? Or what are what are kind of the current offerings? I know we've got louisehayes.com.au, which is where you can find out about the mindfulness of treats that I'll plug in the bottom because that's where I'm going to be keeping my eye out. Um, and when for, we can fly, when we can fly, <laughs> we can fly. Yeah, hopefully not too not too far in the distance. But yeah, where where can we connect with you, Louise? Um, I always have um, workshops going and they're listed on my website. So um, that's the best way. And um, uh, that's the easiest way is to go to louisehayes.com.au or Thriving Adolescent. There are always things listed. Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes so that listeners can grab that really easily. Are you on any social media platforms or is there anywhere else that we should keep our eyes out? I am on Facebook, Louise Hayes something it's on Facebook I'll, I'll make sure it goes in the show notes <laughs> and, and, and of course on Twitter you know, all the, yeah, the, all the, the things, things the usual things and I do have a regular newsletter that goes out that people can sign up for as well as well I think that's really important because I think you know this journey of showing up with curiosity for our young people and being able to help them sort of move through, you know, their DNA V discovery and, and this natural journey of adolescence, I think understanding more about it for me is sort of eliciting the sense of real compassion and understanding as to what's going on and maybe leads to approaching things quite differently. So I think what we can do to understand better ourselves 
both being with young people, the evolutionary science behind it and effective strategies to offer support is, is a great gift. It's incredible. Absolutely. And, you know, young people are really struggling right now. This, this um, is a difficult time for young people. Their mental health, their, their mental health is, they are the most significantly affected in the pandemic. Um, but outside of the pandemic, their, their mental health was still a problem for us. Um, the risks that they constantly hear about in the world, you know, political risks, climate change, um, economic hardship, the changes to workforces that are more um, casual and transient than what they were generations ago. And the downside of that is that young people's mental health is a significant concern. And so there are many young people who are really struggling and they don't know how to get help and they don't even know they need help. Um, and uh, I think as adults, we have a huge responsibility to try to um, help them and to understand they're, they're not just being selfish or, um, uh, or, or weak. This is a difficult time, a really difficult time. Thank you for acknowledging that. And I, I like the idea of our responsibility. And, you know, here we have some wonderful resources that we've talked through and that we can access to support these young people and to support that cultivation of vitality and living a meaningful life. So thank you so much for the work you're doing and for taking the time to share with all of us today. No, oh, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk about young people. Um, and uh, I, um, I think there's so much we can do. That's a beautiful note to finish on this hope for the future that there's lots that we can do. So listeners head to the show notes to grab all of the details so that you can contact Louise and keep, keep in touch with this amazing work and get a copy of your life, your way, get two, one for you and one for the young person in your life. I hope that that interview was as inspiring and informative for you as it was for me. It's certainly given me a really nice framework in regards to how I might relate to the young people in my life. And I hope that you found the DNA V model as useful and as informative as I did in our own lives, as much as for the young people. I certainly wish that I had have had access to this information when I was a young rat metaphorically walking along cliff edges. And I hope that this has resonated with, you know, cultivating a sense of compassion for your younger self as much as we cultivate compassion and understanding for the young people that we connect with day to day. Please head on over to louisehayes.com to find out more information about all of the brilliant work and training and humanitarian efforts that she's a part of. And also thrivingadolescent.com, particularly in regards to this conversation we've shared around the DNA V model and how we support young people in an acceptance and commitment therapy and positive psychology framework. I'll put all of these links in the show notes, as well as Louise's Facebook as well. And please reach out, connect with her, enjoy the wonderful, wonderful work and wisdom that she's doing to support our young people in moving forward to create a world that we cannot even dream of. I think that's a particularly powerful point she makes around young people being our future. All right. I wish you a wonderful couple of weeks and I will connect with you soon on Wisdom for Wellbeing. Bye for now. 
Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.